into the five love languages. And as I kind of mentioned last week, I'm surprised it's taken us this long to cover this topic because relationships is like our favorite thing ever to talk about. So I'll be honest with the listeners. I've never had a copy of this book. Really? Three days ago. Oh, okay. Okay. (laughs) But that's not to say I don't think it's important. It's just, I think the concepts in it are fairly simple. And when I talk to clients about it, what I say is you really don't need to buy the book. Just listen for five minutes and you can and create right. the important concepts. So I really like the idea yes. of this book. I'm 100% behind it. It's just, if you, I guess if you weren't in therapy, if you weren't doing some sort of marriage work, then buying the book would be a good thing to do. Yeah. Since I work with couples, we just talk about this yeah. within our sessions and we go over it. And so I tell them, well, there's really not that much need for you to to buy the book. So I I hope that's clear. I think it's a really important concept. It makes sense to me. And, you know, we'll talk about all the the five different love languages tonight. Yes. It's from a book called The Five Love Languages, The Secret to Love That Lasts. And it's by Gary Chapman. And so there is a website that I want to mention And it's just fivelovelanguages.com. I will have that website linked in our show notes. So if you are interested, you can get the book from them. You can also take the quiz from this website, which I think is beneficial. And Uh one of the reasons why I think the quiz is beneficial is because your love language is going to change over time. And I think that's important to know, or at least they, they tend to. So, I mean... You know, mine and Curtis's love languages look different than when we were first married. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and we've we've taken the quiz a few times and we like to take it every once in a while, every, I don't know, few years or so, just to kind of see how things change. I had another friend who, when she first got married, physical touch was very high on her love language. Well, after she had a few kids, and they were always touching her. <laughs> it flipped and physical touch went to the bottom of her love language. Yes. And that's right. very common for moms because they are touched <laughs> all the time. And at the end of the day, they're just like, heaven help me if you touch me. I mean, <laughs> well, the fact that they're dynamic makes a lot of sense to me too. So yeah, taking the quiz, I think is important, but also I'm sure he says this somewhere in the book. It's not that you're going to have one love language. Yes. You may have two, you may have three. Well, maybe we should jump into why is this even important? Why why does it matter? Mm -hmm. And so even from my own experience, I'm going to give you an example. And this just happened not that long ago. So this uh, falls under the category acts of service. And so Lindy said to me something about, I can take your car and wash it. So we're in the middle of winter here. Mm -hmm. It's all like, and the cars get really dirty. And which was a really nice offer. Right. And from her perspective, I think I, I picked up on this that she likes that done. She likes me to go wash her car. Mm-hmm. But uh, what I said to her is that it really doesn't have any meaning to me. Like, hey, because I don't care. Right. Uh, I honestly don't care what my car looks like. And uh, maybe that's, that's something wrong with me. <laughs> but it just goes to show how different things have different meaning, even within a certain category that we'll talk about, like within the category of acts of service. I think you have to be specific about what it is that has meaning to you. So when I see couples, there is often, you know, someone says, well, I do this for them all the time and they don't appreciate it. That says something right there because it probably doesn't have meaning. And you need 
so around touch, touch is one that comes up a lot. Yeah. You know, one person often really likes being touched, the other person doesn't. And so what happens, there's, I'll call it a mismatch, although I don't want anyone to think that it's a mismatch that means the relationship won't work. It's just that the couples in what has meaning to them is somewhat mismatched. And the only way you get through that is to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And so often what it is, is what I want to have done to me or for me is the thing I do for my partner. Yes. And we think that makes sense. And I guess on some basic level it does, but it may not have the same meaning for your partner. Yeah. And, and so, so you're expending all this energy, right? Doing these things that you think are really nice and wonderful and your partner's going, that doesn't have any meaning for me. Right. And so it's really about understanding the way you receive love and the way you give love. And right. it's important for both partners to understand this because like you said, if they don't understand that this is how I'm showing you love, they're not going to appreciate it. Whereas if you at least know then you're going to be able to recognize and you can appreciate it. So, I mean, you know, if acts of service is your partner's love language and they do something for you and you're like, okay, whatever, thanks, I guess, then that's going to feel, that's not going to feel good to them because it's like, I just did something that I was trying to be thoughtful and I, and this was really meaningful to me and you're just brushing it off. And so, whereas if you can look at that and say, I appreciate that you did something nice for me, you know, so it's about reciprocating love just as much as it is about giving love. Well, I think that's true that you can learn to be appreciative for things that don't necessarily have meaning for you. But I think the more important aspect of this is that for our partners, we have to understand what has meaning to them. Yes. And then even if it doesn't to us, we do it because we care about them. We love them. We want them to know that we love them. And so you make the effort to meet their love language to do their love language and so if it's uh, you know quality time or quantity time well I, I added the quantity time which I'll go into but if it's quality mm-hmm. time then I think you really figure out what that means to the person and you strive to do that now where the re- reciprocal nature of this you've got to do that for each other yes and, and then it really works because you're both you both feel like the other person cares about you. But I think it's about changing what we do for our partners. Yeah. That's how I think it is. And it's, you're investing into the relationship. So being willing to do this shows an investment. And so I think one of the reasons why Curtis and I have taken this so often is because we were a mismatch couple when we first got married. Physical touch was my absolute top by a long shot love language. And it was his bottom by a love language. And that was a little bit of a barrier at the beginning. And, you know, we've grown and we've changed and we've evolved as a couple. And I think now they're a little closer, at least physical touch is a little bit more of his love language. And I think a lot of it comes down to the fact that when we first got married, oddly enough, I was the higher desire partner. And I think that's a lot of what it stemmed for. And as things have changed in our relationship, I'm now the lower desire partner. So, I mean, you know, if couples take this quiz and you're newly married and you're like, oh my goodness, we're completely mismatched. Like Mark said, don't panic because for one, if you're really committed to each other, you can understand, you can still have a wonderful, affectionate marriage and show each other quality love and show and reciprocate love to each other. You just have to work through it. I've never seen any statistics on this. This is just my guess. 
Mm-hmm. I think most marriages are mismatched. Okay. I mean, I the chance know. of yeah. you yeah. marrying someone that has exactly the same love language, I think is fairly small. Yeah. So most couples don't talk about it. it. It's true. Well, and I think it was just, it, it just struck me how high physical touch was for me and how low physical touch was for him yeah. when we first got married. And it made me worried a little bit. I was like, are we incompatible? Well, no, we're not. <laughs> we no. I mean, obviously. <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't mean that. It, it's about increasing your dialogue about what has meaning to you, talking about it explicitly, not assuming that what you like is what the other person likes. Yes, yes. And I think that's really the main point of this. And yeah. The one side note I want to bring up as we go through this is kids have a love language. And mm, yeah. as as your kids age, you can get to know their love language. So I was going to bring this up. I didn't write down all these titles, but so I went on to Amazon mm-hmm. to get my e-copy of this. I, I'm just guessing, I think there must be at least seven different types of books. So I think there's one specifically, Love Languages and Kids. I don't know what okay. they call them. And there's one, Love Language for Couples in the Military. So he's like a good marketer, like a yep. lot of these people yep. are. I mean, if you've got this book that I don't know how many millions of copies he's sold. I mean, I guess he's probably sold a lot of these. And you want to increase your sell more, you you then diversify a little bit. And mm-hmm. so, if you if you go onto at least Amazon where I look, there are, there are different categories of these five love languages. Okay, yeah, we're it's just talking just... about the basic, you yes. know, first edition one. Yes, but I find it interesting that you know, as a parent, that I can look at my ten year old and I know, oh yeah. I know what her love language is and I can look at my six-year-old and I know what her love language is, but my three-year-old, I mean, I don't know if narcissism really counts as a love language because that's about all three-year-olds know how to do. It's just be egocentric. Right. And so, which is just part of, I mean, it's very natural for toddlers to be egocentric because they don't yet understand empathy and they don't, they don't understand how to put themselves in someone else's emotional space. That's our job as parents. So, all right, let's go ahead and jump right in and we'll just start off at the top. Words of affirmation. So this is, a well, I think they're all important, actually. So I can't pick, well, this is the most important. This is one, so I often ask, usually men, Mm -hmm. I say, how often do you have positive thoughts about your wife? And I believe them when they say that, you know, multiple times a day. They have positive thoughts about their wife. And then I say, well, how often do you actually let it get out of your mouth so that she hears it? And the answer is typically zero. Okay. And so a lot of this is just that men and and couples often really think positive things, but I don't know what it is that prevents them from saying them. Uh, I think it's one of the things that Lindy and I do really well is to have those positive thoughts about your spouse, convey it, write it. I'll say, so compliments. I think compliments are really important. And what I say to couples when we're talking about compliments, it's, so you might, you know, you might get up, you get ready for work and you say to your wife, you look really pretty today. Now that's nice, but there's one more step that's really important. And the next step is, I really like that dress on you. And so you make something specific. I like the way you've done your hair today. Or, you know, those shoes are really nice. So you say, you know, you can say you look nice today. 
And what you're doing essentially is here's the reason I think you look nice. And it has more meaning because instead of what you, your wife or your partner is going to know, oh, they're not just saying it. They actually notice my dress. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's really important. I think that uh, John Gottman has an exercise you can probably find online. He calls it the appreciate exercise. And it's very similar to what I just said, that lots of times couples fall into this, what Gottman would call a negative sentiment override. And the only way to shift it into a, what he calls a positive sentiment override is to really start upping your, the positive comments. And one of the things you can do is, you, and he has this whole list in this exercise, and it's all these different qualities. And so you pick out this quality and you say, you know what, I really appreciate this thing about you. Mm-hmm. And then the next step, though, is you give examples. Like I noticed when you did this, you know, it was an example of that or this. And so it has so much more meaning when you're saying these positive things or things that you appreciate with the example. And that's what a lot of couples don't do. Right. And so one thing that I think is important to mention that we probably should have brought up earlier is that most people, or I I guess I should say very few people, if any, will have a zero in any of these. These five love languages, when you take the quiz, it's weighted based on your answers. And so they're either or questions that you're being asked, and then it's weighted on a scale. And so each one is assigned a number. And I think it's pretty rare for someone to have a zero on any of these numbers. So everybody can receive and give love in all five of these ways. It's just certain things mean more to certain people, right? Right. They're more important. Yes. Yeah. And so one thing I think might be interesting is if we were to tell people something that if this is their dominant love language, this would be really damaging to them. So for example, if words of affirmation is your dominant love language, I would imagine that criticism or harsh words are going to be particularly hurtful. I think you're right. Yeah, I agree with that. Okay. All right. So acts of service, let's jump into that one. The thing with acts of service is I'm a big advocate for making lists. And maybe Mm -hmm. that, maybe I'm trying to think of how I do this. Maybe I do this for men. I think men often, like you'll talk about it and they don't have any ideas. Mm, well, okay. again, you have to have a conversation with your spouse about what has meaning for you. Like I mentioned the thing around washing the car. Mm-hmm. Now, it doesn't mean that I don't like acts of service. Yeah, It means that washing the car is an act of service that doesn't have a lot of meaning for me. Like I know from Lindy, me filling her car with gas really is important for her. She likes that. And see, I think acts of service is something that everybody can really relate to as a love language, because I think we all appreciate or we can all appreciate when somebody does something nice for us. And maybe it's just one of the ones that are a little more easier to recognize, you know, because I know that Curtis has done things for me that it's like I knew he was doing it to try to help me. Uh And I always appreciate that. You know, I mean, like a small thing that he will do sometimes is. So he'll get things ready for the kids' lunches in the morning uh-huh. as much as he can. So he'll have everything just laid out. And he's trying to make my morning smoother and easier. And it's a little thing, but it's something I really appreciate. And so, you know, acts of service, again, I think it's it's easy to relate to. 
Yeah. But again, I think you need to do some, have some dialogue about it. Yeah. Yep. What has meaning to you? Like if I make you breakfast, does that have meaning for you? For some people, no. And then I will not restrict this to just husbands or men, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but I think making a list so that you don't have to think about it so that you can say, okay, this week or today, you know, what would I, what could I do? And so you pull up this list. Oh, this, I haven't done this in a while. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to do this. And so it just, because sometimes uh, when I've talked with couples uh, and they say, yeah, I really want to do something for my spouse. I don't know what to do though. I often hear that. I don't know what to do. When we talk about quality time and we talk about dates, the same thing happens with dates. Oh, I really want to go out on a date. I just don't know what to do. Yeah. Well, if you talk about it before and then keep a list, I mean, some people's memories might be good enough to keep a mental list. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a real advocate for putting it in your phone because yeah. then you have it no matter where you are. Yeah. I mean, and something to keep in mind, too, is if somebody likes something done a certain way, yeah. you might be doing something to try to help, but it's kind of the opposite. And right. I can't think of anything specific, but I know that there are certain things where it's like I try to do something for Curtis. And he's like, I mean, I appreciate the gesture, but you did it wrong. And he doesn't say it like that, right? Yeah. After so many years, I know what he's hinting at. And, you know, I think that's just another thing to, you know, to keep in mind or why lists can be helpful. Right. So, you know, you're not doing something that the opposite of helpful. Well, right. And I think the other thing is when you pay attention, mm-hmm. I mean, the whole thing is paying attention because the yeah. other person then, you know, feels like, oh, I'm being noticed or, you know, uh, like, okay, so I bring you flowers yep. and I bring, I know that your flower that you like is, I mean, daisy or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so that has meaning. So it's not just the flowers. Like if if you didn't like roses and I spent all this money and brought you roses, then that's kind of defeating the purpose because yes, I brought you flowers, but you didn't pay enough attention to know I really don't like roses. Yep. And so I think that's important too, is if there's something that has like flowers is a good one, or maybe you bring candy sometime, you Mm -hmm. know, pay attention to what it is that you're, partner spouse likes. Yeah. So something I think that could be damaging for this love language is not doing something that you're asked to do. And so, yeah, it's like if your partner says specifically, I really need you to do this to help me out and you don't do it, that's really going to be a negative Mm -hmm. for them. All right. So receiving gifts. A lot of times I think people might associate this with materialism and I don't think that's the case. So I think it's more about how thoughtful are you in your gift? And someone whose love language is gift giving, they want something that's thoughtful. They want their gift to say, I thought about you. Yes. Yeah, I agree with that. So honestly, that was my heart. That I don't know if it's still my hardest one. It's the one I had the most complaints about, but I think I was stuck in that model of, well, this is about going and buying something. Mm -hmm. And if you have a partner who really likes gifts and you're kind of stuck, if you don't have the money and the resources to go buy a gift, but he makes a, a lot of, he puts a lot of emphasis in the book about uh, going out into nature, finding something uh, yep. in nature that has meaning to you, handmade gifts, making something mm-hmm. for the other person. I think that in similar to the quality time with dates, acts of service, I think keeping a list of what are the things that have meaning for the other person, you know, and they can be small things. I think 
Uh, the other thing, you know, I mentioned candy. Maybe there's a candy bar that your partner likes. And so, you know, I don't actually, I don't know how much candy bars are nowadays because I don't mm-hmm. buy them. But, you know, you can, for a buck, you can go find, you know, and you just say, I went to the store and I thought of you and thought you might like this. See, I think that falls under the receiving gifts category, yes. but it's something small. But just like you said a minute ago, the important thing is the message you're giving, I thought of you. Yes. I thought about you and I remembered this about you. That's the value. That's more the value, I think. Yes. So my mom's primary love language is gift giving and receiving gifts. Mm-hmm. And some of her absolute favorite gifts that she ever gotten from me as an adult is homemade stuff that involves the kids. So Mm -hmm. I, one time I made her, it was like a footprint garden type thing, or, Mm -hmm. you know, so we just, we took that air dry clay and I imprinted each of the kids footprints into it. And she absolutely loved it. I mean, she loved, loved, loved this gift. And, you know, and so again, it's, it's the thought that went into it. It's sentimental. I think gift givers are sentimentalists. Uh I think it's a good way to describe them. And so something that I think would be damaging to them is a really thoughtless gift or a gift that is something they, you know, they don't like or something that they don't care about at all. Right. Because you're sending the opposite message of, I didn't pay enough attention to you to really remember that you don't like this thing. Yes. And so I agree with you. That can be damaging mm-hmm. because then I you don't agree. feel seen or heard. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So quality time. This one is, I think, someone that everybody maybe needs to do more of regardless of is if it's your love language or not. And so, you know, when I think of quality time, I think of technology off. And you're just together one-on-one and everybody needs to make time for that. Right. And so the only thing I would add, which I wrote on my little outline here, is I think there, there's a case to be made for quantity time. Okay. And so if we get stuck in this idea of, I don't need to spend much time with you, but what I want to do is make it quality time. I think the problem with that is one's definition about what's quality Mm-hmm. is going to be different. And so again, a dialogue with your spouse and partner is important to decide, okay, what what is quality? Yeah. But I think we need to have more emphasis on quantity time. Mm-hmm. I think that our partners want to be with us. Yeah. And so it, this is something that comes up all the time. And I, I, in fact, I don't know that I've seen a couple where this is different than the why. If, if husbands plan dates, so take the initiative, mm-hmm. plan the date. Here's a big thing. If they arrange for the babysitter, you know, mm-hmm. even if you have a standard babysitter. So if they go to the, all the effort where their uh, wife does not have to really do anything, mm-hmm. even in that case, it doesn't necessarily have to be something that um, the wife is excited to do. There's this whole message of, I want to be with you. And I want to be with you enough that I plan this whole thing and I've even taken care of the kids. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it's important, I think, to do things that you each like. But planning dates for husbands is really an important thing. I think that not enough men do that. Yeah. You get in, you get into your life and you, you know, you've got kids and in a typical, say in a traditional home, 
and I think this probably even happens in two career homes, that the husband lets the wife plan all those things. Mm-hmm. And I think it's an easy pattern to fall into. Yep. But I hear it often where the wives really don't like that. Valentine's Day is right around the corner, guys. Oh, yeah. So you can tell yeah. your wives, hey, Valentine's Day, taken care of. You don't have to worry about that one. I got it. So, you know, planning dates doesn't have yep. to be an expensive one. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have the means and resources, planning weekends away. Now, the uh, daily thing, I think the, you talked, this fits into what you mentioned earlier, which is can I think connecting each day without electronics. So I put the same thing on my notes that you had. Yeah. Yeah. Without electronics is really important because even if the phone, like if the phone is over there, you don't have it in your hand. Even if you've turned it off, if it vibrates, yep. there's this natural thing. You're going to turn your head and look to the phone. Mm-hmm. And the, the very subtle message that you're giving is that phone in that moment is more important than what you're talking to me about. Right. So I think it's a real mistake to have electronics near you. I'd, I'd stick them in a drawer for that time. But I believe that this is an important thing to do every single day. Yeah. And, you know, I like what you said about quantity time, Mark, because as I think about it, I think couples really appreciate when you involve yourself in their hobby. So, you know, Curtis loves when I play video games with him, right? I mean, that means a lot to him because he knows that it's not something that I really love to do, but I know it's something he's interested in. And so, and, you know, quality time is is pretty, it's always been pretty high on mine as well. And really it's just, it stems from my desire to just want to be with him. In fact, I bet this is something that you probably have run into a lot with couples. And Curtis and I certainly fell into this trap when we were newlyweds, or maybe I fell into this trap. And that is not being explicit in your wants, needs, and desires. And so I used to get so mad at Curtis because he would play video games. And it was a simple matter of, I wanted him to want to spend time with me and he wanted to play video games, but I wanted Mm -hmm. him to want to be with me. I didn't want to have to tell him that I wanted him to want it. And I would get so mad about it. And it was a pretty big source of conflict for us early in our marriage. Whereas, you know, now I just, I understand that if I say, Hey, I want to do something with you, or can we do something together? He'll say, yeah, absolutely. And so uh, maybe it comes back to what we talked about early on is, it's about the dialogue and you have to talk about it. I think right. that's what's really important. We're terrible mind readers. <laughs> I we, think. I and just, I think some people expect that of their partner, but it's a really unreasonable expectation. Yeah. I was definitely guilty of that when I first got married. I mean, I would get so frustrated that he didn't just know. I was like, you love me. We're married. Why don't you just know these things? And well, it's because he can't read my mind. So. No. So the final thing I want to say about the quality or quantity time is that often a couple might be together and in somewhat a spontaneous way, they have time to spend to do something. Mm -hmm. And they spend a lot of the time thinking, well, what should we do? Should we do that? Should we do this? This is where I think it's equally important to keep a notebook, an idea of here's some things that we could do together. So that when you have a time and maybe only have an hour together, say, wouldn't it be nice to do something together? Then you don't have to spend that time thinking about what are we going to do together? Mm. You can just say, well, let's do this because we haven't done that in a while. And so I think keeping an idea of the things that you can do, 
different lengths of time, you know, might be long, might be not, but quality, you know, both of you enjoy them. Let's say playing a card game mm-hmm. or putting together, putting a puzzle and it could be simple things like that. Going out to maybe get ice cream, any, there, there are any number of things that you can do. And so I think it's important to keep a list. Yeah, absolutely. So something that would be detrimental or something that would be damaging to someone whose love language is primarily quality time is consistently not making them a priority. So if you're consistently prioritizing other things over your partner, that's going to be really damaging to them. Right. And I hear this often from people, you know, one spouse is going to say, I feel like I'm the bottom of the rung as far as priorities. Yep. That, and that's not going to feel good to anyone, but it's no. especially going to be damaging to someone whose yeah. primary love language is quality time. All right. Yep. So physical touch. Now, a lot of people seem to think that this revolves around sexuality. And mm-hmm. I think in some ways that it can. I think in a lot of ways it does revolve around sexuality, but it doesn't completely. I mean, you know, physical touch has always been my primary love language. And this is, and I kind of teased this last week. I am a cuddler. I will cuddle with everyone in my family. I mean, my cat, my kids, my husband, I love to cuddle. And so, and that stems from physical touch being my primary love language. And for me, when Curtis just reaches out and touches me, oh, that has so much meaning to me. Like today I was sitting and studying and Curtis walks up and just, he didn't even say anything. He just put his arm around me. You know, and just gave me a gentle squeeze. And to me, that speaks volumes. And I love when he does stuff like that. Or when he when he reaches out to hold my hand means a lot to me. And so, you know, physical touch, don't discount that one. Well, I think that what I work with couples is I think it's really important to separate non-sexual touch and sexual touch. Mm. And a lot of couples don't do that. I think it's really important. And one of the reasons is that in some couples, not all couples, in some couples, the only time the male will touch the female is when he wants to have sex. Mm. And so what happens is the wife then, the female then starts to pull back because that doesn't feel good. The only time I'm going to be touched is when he wants something. Yeah. And so one of the ways around that is you separate non-sexual touch and sexual touch. And then I work with couples to really increase their non-sexual touch. Okay. So that you're doing, you know, what you and Curtis might do and what Lindy and I do. Certainly there's a lot of non-sexual touch. And so you have to make it clear that when I touch you, I'm not just wanting sex. Mm-hmm. Now, the only way you can make that work is if you become more explicit about when you want to be sexual. And so, Mm. which is an important discussion as well, but we won't go into at this point. But I think having that designation of non-sexual touch and sexual sexual touch is important. And you really ramp up your non-sexual touch. Mm -hmm. Holding hands as you walk by, you just touch someone, you know, arms around each other, giving hugs, um, non-sexual touch. And what happens is then it feels better to both people that you know that non-sexual touch it's not linked to i'm going to do this and i want something from you Mm -hmm. it's just it's more i am doing this because i want this connection to you yes Uh, even if i'm just walking by you in the kitchen 
I'm just reaching out and touching you because I want the connection. So I think physical touch is really important. Now, sometimes in families of origin, we aren't touched often. Mm -hmm. And so I see that as that is a real disconnect. So if you grew up in a family where there wasn't a lot of touch Mm -hmm. and you marry someone where they're in in their family of origin, there was a lot of touch. They're going to want it. The other person isn't going to be used to it. And that can be that can be a difficult thing to work through because the 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 brains aren't wired to really appreciate or think about touch. I really think it's just a habit, mm-hmm. and so you have to figure out a way to remind yourself of I am going to touch more. And so I think people can change it yeah. um, easily, but you really have to make a conscious effort to do it. It has to be important for you both. Yes. Yeah. And I, and, and again, like you said, I think it's something that we talked about over and over is the dialogue is important. You need to talk yeah. about it. And I think a good example is that I gave earlier on in the episode is about my friend who physical touch was her, it's her bottom love language because she has kids now and she's touched all day. And right. so you need to talk about, and I guess boundaries, you need to set the boundaries of, you need to say, okay, I think you need to be open and honest state right now. I need to not be touched and you need to respect that. You know, I, I think that's equally important is to respect someone's physical space when they need physical space. Or if, you know, someone who grew up and their family didn't touch a lot and they're not used to a lot of physical touching, or maybe they don't enjoy it as, as much. Mm-hmm. I think you need to be open and say, you know, I've had enough and I need some physical space. So that's an important boundary to set. Right. And I agree with that. But I think also that that the the non-sexual physical touch from a with adults is -hmm. going to be different than kids. Because I think with kids, there is again, there's that element of need or I want something from you. Mm, Right. That's true. Yeah. And so if as the partner you can make that different, for instance, you could say, I would like to rub your shoulders. So in essence, I'm going to touch you, but I'm going to give you something. Okay. And so it's really the opposite of the kid grabbing onto you. I want want this. It's more the partner saying, I want to touch you and I want to give you something. So in a non-sexual way, if the wife would probably, you know, after a hard day, maybe really like to have her shoulders rubbed or maybe Mm -hmm. her head rubbed. But if it's clear that this, I'm just doing this for you, this isn't going to lead to anything. And then it feels different. It feels like they're being given to rather yeah. than being taken from. Yep. And so something that is definitely damaging to someone whose primary love language is physical touch is obviously going to be abuse. Right. I think that's yes, going to be damaging, yeah. but which, and obviously abuse is something that's not okay in, in any setting and so I'm trying to think of something else that's maybe less obvious that might be detrimental to physical touch. I guess maybe I would say it would be if you only touch your partner when you want something. I think mm-hmm. that yeah. could be damaging because, you know, it'll, it it makes you feel, and I've certainly, you know, and personally I've had to have this dialogue before where it makes you feel objectified a little bit yeah. because you're only touching me when you want something. Yeah. And again, that's why, Dialogue is important, understanding what it is I'm giving to you. I'm, I don't want something right now. I just yep. want to make, I just want to give to you. Yep. 
All right. So next week, we are going to get into work relationships. And we're not talking about having relationships with people at work. We're talking. Okay. Good, good point, Liz. <laughs> <laughs> <Good distinction laughs> <We're... laughs> conflict resolution. We're going to, you know, we'll talk a little bit about 